Welcome to yet another episode of Building Public Podcast. Today, I am—I have to really, really, really get this intro right because this is a guy, this is an entrepreneur, this is a founder or creator that I admired from afar for a long time and read all the stuff, read all the newsletters, you know, I mean, was really an influential person, both from an energy and the vibe but also from the wisdom and a lot of like wholesome content he puts out there about his family and about his daughters and, and about productivity and the 10K work. You know, I think these are the hints you may, you may have already pictured who this person is with the hat backwards. It is Kay He. Welcome to the podcast, Kay. What's up, KP? Thank you so much. You don't, oh, thank you for that intro. What I want to tell you though is like, I'm the one, like all this time I've been watching you talk and Bill and I'm like, I'm like, yo, am I? going to get on this podcast someday. I'm like, I, I'm like the one wondering. So it's always, it's, it's so funny pleasure. how that, how that, how it all works, but it's I a think pleasure. And I appreciate it. You know, and look, I think, you know, we, uh, this is something that I've seen as a pattern, like, like among some of the greatest people that I've interviewed. I think if there's one thing I could tell myself from 10, 15 years ago is that like all the game recognizes game mm-hmm. and like, there was a lot of self-doubt, and that's actually my, one of my opening prompts for our convo here, is that, you know, a lot of self-doubt that I had as an immigrant in the U.S., kind of finding my identity and, like, trying to fit in, and I know you talked about this in many interviews, was around, like, am I enough, right? And, like, what part of me do I need to refine, work on, get better at, so that I can be much more accepted? And I really, really thought it was money and like public accomplishments and you know things of that nature like you know status and accomplishments and what i've learned after 10 15 years now i'm 33 is actually you know like the greats the game the, the people who you look up to the people who inspire you who you admire they don't really care about those things they don't really care about the bank you know numbers in your bank account nor do they care about the number of you know followers you have i think ultimately there's a sense of mutual recognition they see a little bit of you and them but them and you and vice versa and more importantly it's really about like your ambitious proof of work mm-hmm. and it, that's what it came out to me like came out like stood out for me is that they know that it's really a matter of time mm-hmm. and matter of volume of work and proof yeah. of work yeah. and the on the other side on the other side doesn't matter wherever you are it's just really putting in those reps and sets and for me i wish i knew this i could have really enjoyed my ride here to this place where i am in my career but i feel like uh, it's been a pattern like you know interviewing gary v and alexis all of these like insanely humble and they completely recognize you know this truth that is yeah. we're not any different we're all doing the same we're all you know trying to help people and add value okay let's talk about this you've touched on identity crisis a little bit give me a sense of like the younger version of Kay, who was rattling and wrestling with, am I enough? Wow, that that sweet young boy. So, I, so I'll paint a picture because... Give me a picture. Tell me about was... the walk you took from the coffee shop. Like literally walk us through what block, yeah, block around I your mean, home. Yeah, I... So we grew up in, in the East Village of New York City, Stuyvesant Town, 14th Street, if those of you are familiar, brick, you know, big apartment complex, like I think 60,000 people live in that complex. And, you know, New York, so I'm born in 79, so I'm almost 43. New York, people forget that New York in the 80s and New York in the 90s was very different than the New York that it is today. And I think one of the big things is just just way less safe. Mm. So way less gentrified, way less safe. And so, you know, I was, I was, I guess I was average height. I'm five, 10 and a half now. So I guess that makes me average height, but I was a skinny, skinny freaking (laughs) kid, like, so skinny that like 
you know, you just like, you couldn't see my shoulder line. Like it was just like, I was like neck and torso sans shoulder. I'm imagining a young KD right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, except that, yeah, except for the average height part. Uh, <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, it's just like super, super skinny. Like I kind of like walk a little bit funny, like, my, like I'm bow-legged. So like my, my feet like kind of splay out to the side when I walk. So just like kind of awkward, kind of uncomfortable, kind of skinny. And then you got my parents. Like I love my parents, incredible parents. They're tiger parents. And so there's like, Dad, can I get a new you know what was the brand like a ralph lauren polo shirt right like is it on sale at marshall's <laughs> right. like no it's not it's like 65 dollars for a polo shirt no way like go back and finish yeah. your test prep right? exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly and so you know like i just i wanted to belong and i think now that i'm older i think that my parents wanted to belong to like they came to new york in the early 70s they didn't have any family or any friends and they barely spoke English. So like, I think like, I think we all want to belong, right? Yeah. We all want to belong. And I think everyone was having their journey of belonging. And for me, it was belonging, socially belonging in high school, belonging in junior high, but being like, like a physically awkward kid and that physical awkwardness translated into social awkwardness. Right. And I didn't have these like cool, hip, American parents that were like teaching me how to navigate the culture of like East Village, New York City culture. Right. Right. So I just kind of felt out of place. I just wanted to belong. And let's let's cut to the chase. Like I wanted to have a girlfriend. And that was not really in the cards for me in, right. <laughs> in junior high and in high school. So, you know, there was like a lot of dis-ease in that version of K, right? Just like didn't really like you see me now, I'm like always smiling and right. energetic. And So I'm if I met like, you on the subway, would you be like, would you have, would you have been just shy? Like always business? so shy. I would not like talk to strangers. Like I would not strike up conversation. I would not pursue, like ask a lot of questions. Just like keep to myself. Right. I think like many of the traits that I have now is like very curious, like very yeah. studious. Charismatic. That's, um, that's been fantastic to, to hear about that is that you're insanely charismatic today and like, you know, with the surfing and all the all the things you just talked about. I mean, we, we all outside in feel about you feels almost unbelievable given yeah. that background, right? Given that childhood. Well, I think that that says a few things. One is like people can change. Mm. Um, I'll tell you one thing that that like I'm on camera either doing interviews or presenting like on average to 90 minutes a day for right. multiple days a week. When I was in finance, I was one, like, I always got straight, straight A's like in my performance <laughs> reviews, but one criticism always, you suck at public speaking. Ah, that's the, oh I my swear God. To God. I swear to God. Oh my God. I, they were ah. scared to put me in front of clients. I, I still actually that is say the funniest. it's like saying David Perel sucks at writing. That's the funniest <laughs> thing. I still wow. say like a lot. I still use um, but you know, I've gotten better at, at that. But that wasn't my thing. So wow. I say that so that your listeners can be like, yo, you could change. Yeah. Right? The narrative could not even it's not even the narrative, it's the actual lived experience can change. Yeah. yeah. So um what, was so there remember, a like, actually that's double clicking yeah. that was there a point like do you remember inflection point in terms of somebody making a comment or some self-discovery element where you you went from you know what I could be a much better public speaker and I think I have that in me and uh, and, and I know I'm set like I, I like for me it happened and I'll tell you where but yeah. like I'm curious about like what set you on the path of improvement and where you are now. I think that there's 
two things that come to mind. The first was I remember very specifically, it's actually a theme of rad reads is self-awareness. And so I didn't even, you know, using crutch words like like and um and so on, I didn't even know that I was doing that. And so Mm. I would, when I would present in Wall Street, I would have one of my colleagues, I'd say, hey, can you just count how many times I said, I said like, when I, when it's my turn to speak and he'd just count them and then he'd tell me at the end. So bringing that self-awareness, I would also practice speaking to like a recorded iPhone Mm. just to rewatch. It's so awkward. When you're not used to public speaking, it's so awkward. It is. I hate that by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. Getting that. It's a little bit like exposure therapy. What was your not start there? What was driving you to get better public speaking? I just knew it was important. I mean, it's that straightforward. I mean, A, I didn't like having a ding on my resume. Right. Or in my performance. I wanted all all straight A's. I didn't want like one B. Yeah. I wanted that. But I think also as you get older, yeah, your, your parents are smiling somewhere right now. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> They're like, it's a proud of a boy. Yeah. Exactly. And as, as I get older, you realize that it's such a superpower, just a yeah. professional superpower that you're just yeah. at a disadvantage if yeah. you don't have it. So it, it was those two things. But honestly, KP, now with rad reads, almost anything with rad reads, writing, tweeting, like just, just overnight, I got 4,000 new Twitter followers overnight. Yeah. And writing, tweeting, public speech, it's just the reps. I just yeah. been doing it for so it's long. It. It's just the reps. There's no secret there's, sauce. I mean, people have these very complex, you know, like sophisticated answers to it. I'm like, 90% of it is just reps. Showing up, yeah. doing it for long, too long, right? Like more long, like, like the Kobe style, just like, yeah. And the 10% of it is like some tactics and techniques and like learning from others. Like that's really why part of my reason of this podcast is an excuse to kind of learn from other smart people. And mm-hmm. it's the way, same way, like, you know, I'm sure you do a lot of, like peer-to-peer learning, like you, you ask other people some of the dumb questions you've been holding for a while. The and then once that's taken care of, you're good to go. You go back to the reps, right? Yep. So for me, what I want to share like another interesting anecdote. And the reason I asked you about like what drove you in public speaking was somebody like told me, and this is like a shocking thing. Like somebody told me, Kippy, you're going to be, you're a terrific community person. You're going to be a great community leader. And this is so funny because I am like, Similar to you, I had a background where I was very shy and English is my second language. I speak Telugu at home, even now with my parents, you know, when we FaceTime, English is like a learned skill, like where I had to practice a lot. So I was like you, like a straight A student, academically really bright. I always had like, you know, great like rankings and everything, but I never really wanted to be in the spotlight. I was so afraid of it. And I also had a lot of self-doubt around like, am I good enough physically? You know, all this like similar traits. Like if I I'll flash a picture maybe to the audience after this episode in the show notes, like it's unbelievable. Like I can't believe like, I know why I didn't have a girlfriend then, right? Because I was like, (laughs) unbelievable. I'll I'll find you you one picture. We can put both of our pictures. You should do that. Like I I can't, like I would not date myself. Like so... (laughs) I, and so, you know, with all those, I guess, baggage and limiting beliefs, everything, I, as I got into adulthood or as I got into 20s, I never not taught myself. Like, I wanted to be the invisible fly in a community. So when I would go to networking events, I would be like, like, leave me alone. But I, at the same time, I recognized the value of connecting and like yeah. knowing people and getting to know. But I once, 2018 or 19, I think I kept doing, out of nowhere, I started doing these monthly dinners slash meetups for indie hackers okay. in Atlanta. And because the main host ghosted on us, I became sort of the default host. And I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting a pizza sponsor. I enjoyed giving an intro to everybody. I enjoyed like getting everybody to pitch or share what they're working on. And that's when the guy who said this, Drew Riley, 
you know, if you know him from yeah. Trent DC, he came to one of my meetups and he said, KP, you're going to do great. You're going to be an amazing community leader. And I was like, what is he talking about? What is the, yeah. what is the community even, right? But then like I learned to hone into it, kind of like you with public speaking, I realized the value of it and then leaned in and went full all in, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's so many times in life you just one conversation away or a one inflection point away. And yeah. I think I, I'm glad you shared that story because it's a reminder to me and to our listeners too, that if you see someone with a talent, yeah, they may not see it in themselves. Yes. So just tell them, yes. just be like, you're an amazing ex. Right. And, and that one comment can change right. the trajectory of their life. You know, and, and you're not I, even blowing smoke up their ass. I mean, yeah. I mean, also like, I think that being authentic is important there, right? Like not just, to your point, not just complimenting for the heck of it. But I think, Kay, I wonder if you felt some something similar where I've noticed one of my favorite things to observe in high achievers is that, especially high achievers who are likable, charismatic, is that they compliment others way more than they receive compliments. Yeah, They yeah. sometimes go out of their way and actually come. I've received that so many times uh -huh. as, as one of my traits. Which I, by the way, I don't even think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I think there's a sense of maybe that's another another secret sauce of being a community person is that you are not afraid to acknowledge and compliment someone's uniqueness. And I do this all the time. If I like your hat, I'll tell you. If yeah. I like your beard, I'll tell you. I, and I've said this to people at every level. I've said this to yeah. Eric Thornburg, founders. I've said this to billionaires. I've said this to someone who just joined Twitter spaces, right? If I hear their voice, I'm like, oh my God, you have the podcast voice. Yeah. I think there's something about, there's a correlation between how much you compliment others through the day. I wonder, I don't know if I'm true or I mean, this is right or not. And how blissful you feel through the day. Yeah. There's a sense of like other orientedness in genuinely compliment, not bullshitting. Yeah. Genuinely compliment. Yeah. And I think humans, I, th I think you're totally right. Humans crave these like micro acts of connection. Yeah. And I think I take it a lens further. It's even rarer amongst men. Yes. Because you just said like, I compliment a man, someone on their nice beard. You didn't say yeah. like they're a nice shirt when like, yeah. they're a man or a woman. Yeah. Like men are not used to, it's like the way men are not used to like touching each other, like hugging yeah. and right. so on. And so when you break that wall with a compliment or something nice, then it changes the, the whole dynamic. And, right. and we crave that, right? It's like, I think like, you know, we may talk about it's like, well, one of the, like, the big observations uh, that I've had about happiness or joy yeah. is it's just, it's just an little. accumulation of little moments, wow. right? And you see that with, a, with when, especially when you become a father. Yeah, it, it's like, you know, the first couple, it's not like my kid's not, you know, hitting home runs, walk off right. home runs at T-ball or winning medals and, you know, in dance contests. Like, no, it's just like, hey, dad, today was the best day of my life. You know, yeah. or that that was so funny when you tripped. Right. Yeah. And th that's it. And it's just you string you string a bunch of those together for a lifetime, and that is like it, that's and so when these little micro acts of connection with others, with your kids, with your spouse, with you, with people on Twitter, like that's life. That's right. That's the beauty of life, not this like oh, like I got a uh, retweet that I want. I got a tweet that went viral today. Right. Like oh, that makes me so happy. Right. It's it's almost almost the like to your point like it's always the the little things and it's and and the ones that you don't expect because I think there's a sense of novelty like the fact that you didn't expect that coming in you were like wow I, I can't believe like KP complimented me on like something right and yeah. and if you keep go if you go around doing this daily 
you're not doing it out of pressure. I'm just doing it because I notice it. And also it makes you a better noticer yes. of things too, which is helpful because I'm actually a, I'm someone with a very poor shitty memory. So unless I remember that you wore a pink hat mm. on a podcast interview, like K is forever recognized, like stored in my database, <laughs> whatever, like this picture right here, pink hat, as opposed yeah. to like, if I remembered you from Brooklyn versus whatever, right? So mm. I think there's something about that too. So, okay. Another, again, I, I love the roof nature of this uh, conversation. And I know this is what you said that you wouldn't mind getting into. So I'm blaming you for the lack of structure here. The One of my favorite things that I've seen you execute so well, and I'm low-key jealous, but in a positive way, is you're insanely consistent with the newsletter, mm-hmm. with the writing game. And I know some part of it is reps and sets. It's just about showing up. Just break it down for us, for the audience, mm-hmm. for the listeners. Okay. What is your writing routine look like on your ideal state? And tell me what is your, what is the least acceptable floor? Like what was your, like, okay, this is the bare minimum I'm going to do. And that's, that's acceptable. Got it. Okay. So let's give a, let's step back and look at the full picture. We are, we're hitting send on Radreed's 335 on uh, Saturday, 335. I think I started writing an essay around Radreed's 100, a weekly essay. Right. So that's like 225 essays. Weeks wow, and essays. Wow, yeah. I think um, in the 225, there's probably been maybe I took one summer off, one summer I alternated, and then maybe like four breaks per year. So there might have wow. been, there's not that many breaks in that. Right. So here's a little secret. You ask this question, people ask me this question often. You're expecting to hear that there's <laughs> this like crazy editorial calendar and there's like a Zettelkasten in Rome that is hooked up to Zapier to a Notion Kanban calendar. And then there's a VA somewhere that's like line editing it. And the, you know, not to this day, you want to hear the, the writing process? I don't know if I'm ready for it, but get laid on me. So to this day, on Monday, I, saw, I start thinking, what am I going to write about this week? And then throughout the week, I'm just, I'm observing. And one of the things I really like to do in my writing is to write about what's trending in that week. Mm. Because I think that that just increases the likelihood that right. people will want to read it. And right. it's more Resonance, right? What resonates Resonance. most. Yeah. So I'm kind of observing, I'll, I'll tell you like, so this, this week, I know that I have, um, we're promoting our course. So we're kind of in like the warm up period. So I want to do something related to the course. And just the other day, I, I, an idea hit me. And the idea hit me is that there's two types of productivity. Hmm. Jo- um, fear-based productivity, right? like hustle culture, there's never enough, got to compete to beat others, more, 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 bigger, faster, break things, stuff. And then there's joy-based productivity, which is hmm. like zone of genius right? in your flow. You smile a lot. It's effortless. Right. Wu Wei, if you're familiar with the Eastern philosophy, the Zen term. So it kind of hit me. And I was just sitting in my car as I thought about this. And so this is one of the be the theme, I guess, right? This is the beauty of the newsletter is that it's it's basically where I experiment. Mm. So I'm going to write this post. And then on Monday, you know, two days, we'll let people read it over the weekend. We're going to see if people think it's as interesting as I think it is. And it's probably not going to be black and white. But how would you assess it? Like, what's the feedback loop for you? So uh, there's a few feedback loops. One would be just people replying. So the first one will be like, you know, there's you're a writer. Like, you have an idea in your head. It sounds great in your head. (laughs) Once you write it, you're like, oh, that was kind of a shitty idea. Yeah, that. So that's the first step. 
like once it comes out, there might be some lost in translation and you're like, oh, this wasn't as good, but let's assume it comes out good. Then there'll be a few things. Oh, I'll also tweet about it throughout yeah. the week. Cause I start, I incubate the idea on Twitter right. with the, like a, a, a tweet thread. A tweet right. So I kind of see the flow there. And then on Saturday morning, I'll write it. So I, I try to hit send by nine Pacific so I right. can go surfing. Yeah. And so I'll wake up at about six. So I have about three hours. Three hours to, to finish the draft. Wait, yeah. is the draft, did the draft already start? Maybe no. a day? Oh, wow. No, I just took notes. It's a cold start, right? Cold okay. Start. So one sitting. That's why there's so many typos. Dude, you're like, like this, you're like dispelling so many myths. Like you're <laughs> yeah. just like destroying so many books and productivity and stuff that you say. So, exactly. So then I sit down. I know the only one is that like, I need, I actually, you would think that 335 weeks later, I don't need a deadline. No, I need the deadline. The positive constraint. I need the constraint. I can't start it on Monday. I've tried for so many. I've been doing this for five, 2015. I've been doing this for seven, seven years. years. I, I still need the constraint. I think you probably will be the most relatable guest on the pod. So. I feel like that's so many people though. There's so many people, they, need the they know they have to ship something on Saturday, but they can't start Monday. No. They no, can't. No, yeah. I, I, yeah. So I sit down and then I write it for three hours. I edit it. I have a hard stop because I, I got to surf. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not leaving, leaving an essay to dwindling, dawdling on an essay to avoid surfing. So I go and then the week goes by, we'll get like, people will reply and then I'll look at the click-through rate. So last week I did That's another massive piece yeah. on GTD. And I actually, I thought it was like really good, but it was very nerdy inside baseball GTD stuff. So I'm like, yeah, mm. it'll do average. It was like gangbusters. So like wow. people... Right. People were relating to it. So I'm like, oh, okay. And you would think that like, I take note in my head. I'm like, I'm kind of like, it's like you noticing someone's beard is slightly different. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, like the GTD thing, that was an outlier. Like, you know, whenever you're the, the expected result is different than the actual result, hmm. little light bulb goes off. Like make a mental note, Kate. Like people like the GTD thing more, like right. recalibrate the algo. Right. And then see the observations and then, you know, then we might go back and if it's really good, we might like make a YouTube video out of it. We might incorporate it as a module into the course. We might use it as a launching pad for a free event. So we try to reuse the content like three, four times. Twitter, YouTube, event, right. Notion template, TweetStorm. Oh, that's, that's the name of the game, repurposing. Yeah. So repurposing. That's pretty it, new though. Like I only figured that out like I think, no, underrated, super underrated. I think, you know, it's kind of like what they say about sales follow-ups. Everybody thinks that it's the first sales email that's going to win the contract. It's actually the eight follow-ups that happen after. Totally. Same way everybody thinks the net new content is winning. Totally. Is the the thing that wins uh, to to kind of gain audience is actually the repurposing, you know? Totally. We're seeing like Dickie Bush does a great job. Like Danny Miranda, this guy, I don't know if you know him, but uh, he's been crushing it with repurposing. So so yeah. Good. So yeah, so that's, I wish there was a, like some like crazy elaborate process, yeah. but it's like the process is there's a constraint. And I think the thing that I really want to reiterate is that a lot of them are average. Yeah. A lot of them are average, and, yeah. but I use this, it's my lab. It's my way of showing up for my community. And the thing is that the community then it's a part of their habit, Yeah. right? Like Reading an essay from K, and it doesn't have to be the world's greatest essay. Right. It's just an essay from K. It's 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 almost like a podcast in that regard. Right. Where there's like a, a scheduled connection between reader and creator. And right. Dude, you do that for seven years, man. Fuck, man. Yeah. Some crazy they, shit will happen. Yeah. And they'll like they'll really get a hang of your worldview. 
yeah. you know, and they'll try to like chime in and, and add and, and expand that as they can. Right. And so I think that's another like surprising discovery for me has been like in the last two years where I really like 10x to my community outreach and my, you know, Twitter game is I didn't realize how big of a role they want to play in your content creation. Mm -hmm. Right. And I now I like I don't even think of myself as a creator. I think of myself as a co-creator. Yeah. Right. Like the difference between a founder and a co-founder. I think as a content creator, I think I'm a content co-creator. The other part is the audience. I love it. And that's why it's important to do it in public. And, you know, my yeah. whole myth is building in public or learning in public, asking in public. And so it's been fascinating how much they want to chime in, you know. Mm. So let's do a jump cut into a whole different part of your life. I think yeah. you talked about parents and the fact that they were Cambodian immigrants, you know, who moved to the U.S. with not many friends and not much of a social life here. So it reminds me of my early days in the U.S. as an Indian immigrant, 21-year-old. It was really hard. And, you know, I think I finally, after 10 years, I feel like I'm slowly getting used to this. You, you came to the U.S. at 21. Yes, for my master. Yeah, I was born here. Um, yeah. And so I think I relate more to your parents you yeah. know, to, to, than you, perhaps. But I want to know, what does it feel like to be a kid? Because I want to know, what does it feel like to be Neil, my son? was born to an Indian immigrant. And for you, like in terms of what were some aspirations you had as a kid? You know, like mm -hmm. the, the, does the dreams change? Does the things you aspire for? Like, I know if we, if we like pulled an average American kid to born to an like maybe non-immigrant parents, ask them like, hey, what do you want to become? They'll be like astronauts or, yeah. you know, Scientist. YouTube creator, right? <laughs> TikTok dancer, whatever. What were yours? And yeah, yeah. that's a good, um, my daughter asked me this question the other day. So I was, I had a, I've always had a lot of hobbies and things. So if you ask me, what are some of the things that I wanted to do be when I grew up? I mean, one was definitely like a magician. <laughs> I, I loved every kid's dream, right? <laughs> I loved card tricks. That was oh one of them. God. I also know how to juggle. When did you give up or are you still pursuing? No, I lost, I lost interest in <laughs> card tricks. I still, I'm always down for a good juggle. I love juggling. <laughs> And since I drink a lot of margaritas, like I'm always oh. juggling limes. Right. Uh, There's always limes in my house. So I'm always juggling limes. So uh, uh, juggling, I, I really, really, really wanted to be a professional skateboarder. Interesting. So I yeah. skateboarded wow. a lot as a kid. I was decent as a skateboarder. Skateboarding, a side note, is a very like 10,000 hours sport where it takes you like a year to learn one trick, like an ollie. Wow. Jumping, yeah. And then another year to learn another trick, like a kickflip where the board flips uh, horizontally, then another year to learn like something else. And so it really like lent itself to my personality of just, right? Think about that. Right. A year to learn one trick one as trick. like a 12 right. year old. Yeah. Right. There's no instant gratification. Right there so those were so magician i think i had the standard like scientist you know physicist scientist chemist stem you know, right at, yeah at some point i'm trying to think other strange stuff you, you know what though kp part of it was i, just, I wanted to make money yeah like i, so I, I think that's that, a great point actually i think that's where i kind of got that point from one of the videos yeah. you made and you talked about how money was an aspiration yeah. growing up because that was a way to kind of feel belonged yeah fully full i can could not agree more. And again, I guess part of the reason why, like, you know, immigrants move to America is to have a better life, one, you know, so many other things. But it's this, you know, feeling like this societal success can maybe replace the void that you feel. And I've had the same chase. Yeah. And I know you, you you shared this. So let's talk, let's talk about how money was almost the, yeah. you know, the thing that so you pursued for a long time. And then when you changed your way. Yeah, well, I wanted to belong, right? And so I think that when you're trying, I think that society, culture tells you, and it may may not be wrong, I'd have to think about this more, but culture tells you that 
what that there's a few ways that you can belong. And the key ones are status and a derivative of status, power, right. influence, right? And how do you usually, what's like the easiest way to get status, power, and influence? It's through money. Money. And so I, I've always been really good at like distilling things into playbooks. Like right now I'm distilling, like I know very little about SEO, but I just immersed myself in SEO conversations. And I think that I've distilled it into like a playbook that's going to work for our business. And so I love like immersing myself in like all this, like what seems like a very noisy thing mm. and like distilling it into like a playbook. And so when I was a kid, I realized very quickly that if I wanted to get status, power and influence then the fastest way to do that was to get money. Right. And then, so then once I figured out that I wanted to make money, then it's like, okay, like go to Yale, major in computer science, learn entrepreneurship. Like I'll tell you some, some crazy fun little facts about me. I was really good. Oh, I like role-playing like fantasy games and Final Fantasy and, and um, Warcraft and all that stuff. I was very good at Magic the Gathering. Um, <laughs> and I sold my collection in 1998, I think, or 96. I had, been t I had all the most valuable cards and I sold the collection for, I think, four grand. Wow. And then I bought shares of the S&P 500 in 1996 Whoa. with the four grand. And wow. I still haven't sold them. Whoa. So 17-year-old so K wow. gifted 42.5-year-old K like $27,000 worth of stocks. Yeah. That, still, that I still haven't spent. I'll probably give them to my kids like I, right. uh, at this point. So like to go back to your question, I could see around the edges of like how the games, and I think that's what I really enjoy about entrepreneurship mm. is that it's like, I know how to play the game. I opt right. out of a lot of the games, like so I choose not to play them, but I'm like, it actually makes sense how to get there. Right. Um, and so as a, so as a kid, it's like, okay, like play the game. And like, dude, I loaded up on the game. I taught myself how to invest. I learned HTML in 1995. I was making, I was coding HTML websites, websites for like cool. local florists for 20, 20 bucks an hour as a 16 year old in 1995. Wow. That's like $40 an hour today. Right. Right. Uh, and so I was doing that and then I was investing the money in the S&P 500 and then learning like taking SAT prep so I could get into like the best school and then reading books on C and C++ and cold fusion and PHP to like broaden my like non-academic skill set. This was all as like a 16 year old. Right. But it was very motivated by that one thing, right? Yeah. Money will lead to power, status and influence. Right. right? So that was it's like- the video game you chose, it, right? It was, it was yeah. the game and, and it was, I, I think maybe I'm going to sound arrogant saying this, but it was so obvious to me. Right. And the game on Wall Street was actually once, you know, I went to Yale, majored. I actually was a very mediocre student at Yale only because the competition was so high. So high. And and I went to Wall Street. I was like, you know, like a mediocre. I went started a very like second tier bank. But I'm like, I can't really look around. I'm like, I see how this game is played. Mm. Got to learn this kind of certain skills, one of which is public speaking. You got to grow this kind of network, these kind of relationships. You got to work this amount of hard. You need to be this organized. And then you need to be methodical about how you save and invest and like manage your money. And I was like, okay. And I did that. I did that right. for, for 15 years. And so this is probably where your original question got yeah. to. Like somewhere, you know, I had a great career success in my And you quit 20s. the video game, right? And that's the... that's the, that's I, the, I opted out of the video game. Right. Yeah. And you say, I'm going to just switch up the cassette if you think yeah. about it. But I think the interesting thing that your reader, your listeners will want to hear is that like, what was the catalyst? Like, yeah. why did you give it up, right? Right. And I, I'll tell you, a I'll tell them a very simple example, quite recent. 
ask anyone, ask it on Twitter. What was something you wanted so badly mm. and you thought it would make you happy? And what, and you got it. How did you feel one year later about that? Right. And people will be like making six figures, making seven figures, making buying eight figures, buying right. a home, paying down my loans, um, you know, buying a second home, tra take traveling, the, whatever. Every single dream that you have will be answered by that one question. Yeah. And I, I can't say that I figured that out. But I was starting to get a sneaking suspicion that this was... That's where self-awareness kicks in. You kind of could read what's going on. I could kind of... I was like, okay, right. I got a great bonus. Very lucky. I bought a studio apartment in my late 20s. Right. Cool. Doesn't... Like, if you, you think, like, say there's like a, a, a line chart of happiness. Like, you think, like, you're, you're cruising. Let's say you're, like, at a 4 out of 10. Right. You buy an apartment. You're like, I'm going to be a 10, a 9. Right. You buy the apartment. You spike to a 9. And then four months later, later yeah. exactly, you mean revert. You're back to the baseline. 4.1. Well, yep, you're exactly. like slightly higher. Yeah. And then you're like, and okay. you're feeling guilty too that you're not being nine. Sometimes yeah. I notice myself that I'm, man, like I'm not being that stoked I about know. the life that I made for myself. Should I be more stoked? Totally. But I return to my baseline, you know? And totally. I'm like, uh. totally. And then it's like a, it's like an, it's an ad, it's like an addict's behavior. Yeah. Because if the apartment yeah. only brought you a point one, you're like, well, I need two apartments. Yeah. But the two apartments don't even bring you point two. Yeah. They bring you like 1.6. Yes. Right? It's like it's like logarithmic decay. It's crazy. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, you're right. And then towards the end, you're like, okay, you have 18 cars and then you yeah, got eight. like four homes and you got, I don't know, 7,000 like sneakers. 4.42. Like, yeah. You're still at four. Sometimes you may like look at the, I think the might be negative. yield compounds. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I think the guilt of feeling like maybe this is not the path compounds. Yeah. Also, the guilt of feeling like I should be more happy. Why am I not happy? The not guilt, the frustration of Holy. not going to nine because you've seen nine, yeah. so you know what nine feels like. Why am I not returning to that every second. day? And yeah. then this is the, what you. I've seen this with very wealthy people. Then every time you add like a new big thing, the complexity of your life increases. Mm. So then you spend all this mind space managing this new yeah. complexity right like people that have two homes i'm like yeah i don't even have i mean i rent my house and because i don't want the complexity of being yeah. a homeowner right i want to call someone no, property you know, taxes broken. everything 2x right like this can you imagine broken it's, fix it yeah. yesterday boom and so i felt really to go back to your question and all of those feelings like i met my wife we had our kid i had an amazing group of friends and all that but it turns out that that belonging was not even having an amazing wife and kids like didn't make that feeling of wanting to feel seen mm. go away fully. Right. So I think I, what I realized, there's this quote that I found on Twitter once that, that said, where, where all good quotes live, exactly, uh, right, is that there's no external solutions to internal problems. Exactly. And so anything, whatever word you want to use, happiness, contentment, joy, peace, serenity it will not come from acquiring something yeah something material i think like this is what happened people like they achieve something material like wall street so then it's like something else it's like i must make an impact and like even then you got to be careful yeah because you can't whatever pain you hold whatever sense of lack that you have and we all have that that's right. part of being human. Whatever sense of lack that you have will not be healed by achieving something new. Yeah. And I think, again, with my intuition on playbooks, I had an intuition that that playbook was, was faulty. Yeah. 
And I did, I still don't know the answer to that yeah. playbook, but I know that like pursuing things, even when I made the decision to grow rad reads, I'm like, Hey, you have certain things that you feel certain insecurities, certain fears, certain things that you don't like about yourself. Just it's like my inner monologue, just a reminder, you know, that like hiring three people, it's not going to fix those things. Right. And you're like, so, so, so are you still, it. yeah. Right. Are you still, you still want to do it? Right. You still want to mm. do it more for the intrinsic like joy or whatever that that brings. And so I, I am constantly having that conversation with myself. So it, it feels like a red pill moment, you know, to me, uh, what you went through. And, and of course, you shared about this in many interviews. Like what given that now you kind of taken up a new video game, right? Mm -hmm. kind of like writing your own rules and kind of creating your own like solopreneur is kind of designing your own game, you know? Yeah. Even like designing your own levels of the game, like, mm -hmm. right? So what does growth mean to you now? Like what lens do you view growth and growing and acquisitions? Mm -hmm. um, you know, are, are like how do you view them yeah, it's, now? I think about this all the time because I think it, it really exploded when we have a team of five other six. So it really exploded once we added five other people. Because when you're a solopreneur, like you're still, the degrees of freedom are still limited, right? It's right. like, oh, I should do this. I want to do this. But there's like a very tight constraint on your time. But when there's five people on your team, you can have, they're like, oh, I want the marketing person to do this. And I want the right. product person to do this. And I want the office right. person to do this. And, and, and it, there's a lot of that happening now. And I have to like ground myself. Like one of the phrases that I always come back to is genuine care. Like, mm. I want to only partake in activities where there's a genuine care. And right. I always say like, you know, if, you know, we schedule this interview and let's say, you know, yesterday someone was like, hey, Kate, you won the lottery. You're a billionaire, right? I still want to do this interview, mm. right? And I want to bring the same level of attentiveness and genuine care to this interview. Mm. When I have a one-on-one -on -one with my direct report, I want to genuinely care about their well-being, their craft, the thing that we're working on together, not in the what isn't in it for me, right. but just because the concept of genuine care. Like right. when I surf, like I want to just know that I'm trying my best in that moment, mm. right? And so I've tried to find like what is an overarching theme of my life that can kind of bring everything together. And guess what? Like if you genuinely care, you're probably going to be successful by you know, traditional definitions of success, right? right? You're probably going right. to make good money. You're probably right. be a good manager. You're probably be a good employee, right? Right. So that's kind of like, that's one lens. The other though is it's peace, I guess. Like, mm. am I at peace? Yeah. And I'll say that I, you know, I go through waves, but like, I think because of five employees and like each one of them could be doing like 50 different things. So I'm like thinking about 250 things that like <laughs> at every point in time, that hasn't brought me a lot of peace. Because mm. I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about SEO keyword research. Like I'm right. like I had a dream about keyword research last night. Like, that's right. Oh, uh, that's not peace, dude. So I'm kind of like, well, why do you care? Because I'm, like I, I hand on my heart, I'm not doing it for the money. Right. Like I need to work, but like right. we'll be fine. Like right. five people, three people, one person. Like right. it doesn't fucking matter. Right. Uh, for what I want out of life. Yeah. So then, like, why are you dreaming about keyword research? Okay. And I think it is because of that game yeah. right and i think that's when i need to remind myself like look that is a game 
Right. And it's cool. Like it's a cool right. puzzle. Like keyword research is kind of like investing in stocks. Like right. it's kind of a little bit of a bit of a black box and you try right. some shit out and you like see if it works and then like you make a little money if it works and if it doesn't you lose a little, you know, like but like that's not life. Right. Like it, it doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. And there's this phenomenal quote from the uh, Bhagavad Gita that goes, you have the right you have the right to your work actions. You, don't have, you have the right to your actions. Yeah. But you don't have the right to the results of your actions, Correct. right? Yeah, I might be paraphrasing it, but no, I mean no, you got it directionally right. Yeah. So that's so I'm like okay, and that's that's a beautiful, powerful message, and I keep thinking about like and the 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 consequences of your actions. That's your yeah. ego. Yeah. Right. That's the that's all the other stuff, the status, the validation, the Twitter likes, the followers, and like right. and and I keep trying to reground myself to be like, are you doing it? That's why like genuine care has been a helpful reminder. It's just like, right. like when you're writing the tweet, I spent 40 minutes writing a tweet storm this morning. I'm like, yeah. are you doing this because you want more followers or are right. you doing this because you actually are proud of the thing that you're going to You want to share. Yeah. And you, it's a creative expression. And if no one liked it, would you still feel good yeah. that you spent 40 minutes doing it? Yeah. And I think that's the metric, right? If yeah. no external, you know, metric, no positive external metric comes out of this, would I still do it? And if you can maximize those moments through your, you know, week, mm-hmm. I think you won. And that's where, I mean, kind of similar to zone of genius, but still zone of genius still has an implication that there's a consequence, there's an output you're measuring. I think the true freedom, Kay, I feel to your point, the first red pill is the freedom from money. Yep. Right, like freedom from that game. Like everyone's playing the game. I grew up in the game. I love that game. I respect it now. Yeah. But I, I think I know where it leads. The second game is a lot of people in tech, you know, around me in startups, they love to play this, which is the game of impact, yep. which is still similar. Definitely more, I think, has a higher moral ground in my view. Because, you know, like if you see Elon Musk, why he doesn't need money, yep. right? But he's truly pushing the yep. boundaries of what humans can do. To yep. Massive respect. Yeah. Still, that is still a game yeah. that is designed for this up, down, up, down, baseline happiness, you know, thing. The only game I feel like, I mean, there's other things, like all these other games, but I feel like the only game seems to me, and it's something that I wish I remember more actively through the week, is the game, the freedom from your mind. Freedom from your mind telling you, here's what you should be doing. Yeah. It's like what Naval talks about, right? Not freedom of mind, freedom yeah. from mind. Yeah. And our mind is constantly telling us, here's what you should be doing. I'm sure your mind was telling you, okay, here's what you should be doing. Assign 500 tasks yeah. on a shallow board to these yeah. five employees. Make sure they're feeling productive. Yes. Make sure you're feeling... Do your keyword research. Yeah. Or put the, put this uh, tweet storm out there. I'm, same thing with me. Like, you know, different. And I think when you catch yourself not uh, giving in to the uh, grip, the tight grip of your mind's egos, wants and needs is when you get like tiny, precious little jewels of, you know, like precious little pockets of peace. Totally. And I've gotten many of those through this interview. I have oh, to compare. Man. I and I mean it. You know, and I, that's why I think that's why I think I do this. Yeah. Really, there's no ROI. Like literally, like this this podcast has the shittiest ROI in my life. Like mm-hmm. right now. I'm sure you feel the same way about some of the work you do. Like it's the but there's a sense of intangible joy that I yeah. get. Right. Yeah. I know you mentioned joy in one of your interviews. It doesn't feel like hustle. It is it feels like joy. Yeah. Yeah. And then take it a step further. I challenge all of your listeners to this. Yeah. What if ROI is actually the wrong thing? Yeah. Right? We've been, what if JOI was the main thing? Yeah. We've been conditioned to believe <laughs> right. that if you're not maximizing ROI, you're fucking up. Yeah. What if that's... First of all, we could think of the absurdity of that claim. Yeah. 
right? Like it, it's actually not that hard to dispel the absurdity yeah. of it. But if you were to not see the absurdity of it, you're like, really? Like the ROI? I mean, I, I would say like, if, you, if you're listening to this and you're like, no, ROI is the thing to max out. I'm like, I was like, okay, look around in your life and think, show, think of five important things where ROI don't mean shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And think about that. Now, do you still feel the same way about it? Yeah. Right? And it's like, I think it's that red pill moment. It's kind of like opting, like you, I, I've had it in many things like growth. Like what? I don't, why is growth important? Right. Right. Even like personal growth, like, and right. that's a controversial one for some people. But if your personal growth brings you agitation, if your personal growth is motivated by agitation yeah, and then brings you agitation, you need to take a deeper look at your desire right. for personal growth. If right? you're striving for personal growth is sabotaging your inner peace. Yes. You're playing the wrong, you're playing the wrong game with the wrong controls. Right? Exactly. And you know, there's another you know, thing too that I, I think about a lot of smart people, a lot of like high achievers really struggle with this. And this is a question that I ask myself when I'm driving, you know, and I'm like, I have a spare moment to think is, okay, I keep asking like, KP, if you're so smart, why are you not happy right now? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I like to think that I'm actually have gotten like, you know, personal growth wise, I've gotten smarter and smarter and yeah, like, you know, yeah. I understand the mechanics, the growth and all this. And then I pause and I have to like, look at the red light sometimes. And I'm like, you know what, if I'm so smart, and why am I not happy right now in this right moment? Yeah. I don't care. The justification doesn't matter. I should be happy right now yeah, or at least. Let's, let's take it a step further. What is happiness? Yeah. Right. Is it pleasure? No. Right. Definitely is not. Is it like smiling? No. Is it experiences? No. Is it impact? Maybe. Is Right. It's like, well, yeah, it's like that's that's well, an even that's a more meta question, which right. I think about all the time. And, and yeah. I don't have the answer to it. Yeah. It's, it's hard to. I mean, to your point, it's a, it's a very strange emotion. Yeah. And the, the closest I've gotten to is when I do like 15, 20 minutes of meditation <laughs> and close my eyes sort of 30 minutes sometimes. And then you, you feel that inner peace. That's the closest I've gotten to. Everything else feels like externally driven. Mm-hmm. Like something else happened. Hence, I'm happy. Yeah. Only thing I could see that was genuinely internally driven was I didn't do anything. Sat mm-hmm. there on a couch, closed my eyes, internally driven. Yeah. And so, and yeah. It's that, that, I mean, you and I have both like regrounded our, or anchored ourselves around that word peace, which I think yeah. is a very, and again, you could use agitation or calmness right. or serenity or contentment, right? Yeah. I think, I, think I, I suspect, I don't want to go, I'm not a philosopher. Like, I don't want to go out and say like, everyone wants peace. Like, no, that's not, that's not my job to, to decide that. And you shouldn't listen to me. But like, I think for me personally, especially with age, you just kind of like, especially when you like achieve things and you buy stuff and you're like, it's not it. Yeah. It's not it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. not it. What is? I don't know, but that's not it. Right. I love that. I think that's a great note to wrap this up. It's not it. It should be the title of this podcast. Yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm just it. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the inner the inner world of K and then the headline is it's not it. That's not <laughs> it. <laughs> I love it, man. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for coming by. And look, I mean, I know you've done tens of maybe even hundreds of interviews on GTD, on Notion, on, you know, 10X, the 10, sorry, 10K work. And so I wanted to kind of go into a, a different, slightly yeah. unbeaten, you know, un, non-traditional oh, yeah. path with you and kind of get like this, the man behind K, right? Like yes. the mind behind K. So I appreciate you for that, right? Joining. That's the, that's the 10K work right there. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I take it from some of your reactions to the questions that you actually, some of them were like truly novel to you and you were, you know, you were, you had to pause and think. And I love, those are the kind of things I love. Exactly. Yeah. 
when when you, you make you pause and think I'm a shit. I didn't come prepare for that. <laughs> Just like how I can didn't come prepared to define what happiness was, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, there um, you go. You got your homework for tonight. Right. I know. I gotta go read that Bhagavad Gita again. Exactly. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, this was fun. And uh let's let's keep in touch, all right? Thank you, KP. I'll see you.